Welcome to the Star Weaver Podcast. Here we hope to bring you insights into technology, business, and your career. Yeah, so what I was saying is that about 10 years ago is when I got exposed to Git and GitHub mm-hmm. as the successor to tools like uh, Subversion and CVS. And um, what Git promised was a, a newer way of working with source control. Mm-hmm. And that is a decentralized or distributed model, which really just means that every repo that you work with is its own first-class citizen. There's no subordinate um, class versus a source of truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and you say repo, which is, are repositories for everyone who's... Yes, the repositories. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's the, get, the, that's the general uh, language of the industry, comfortably calling it a repo would be understood by everyone? Yes, for okay. the most part, yeah. Okay, great. I mean, a, a repository is basically a collection of files and uh, folders that are managed by source control. Mm-hmm. Great. And typically what you do is you would organize your... Uh, repositories by application. So mm-hmm. if you have a project uh, or an application, whatever you're trying to deliver, all that would go into a single repository. Mm-hmm. Uh, depending on how granular you want to get, you could even go um, further down to where each major component of a software delivery would be its own repository, mm-hmm. depending if, you know, on various characteristics and you know, how granular teams want to get with it. Right. And back in the day, is it fair to say that things like, I mean, I'm, I'm not a developer, but uh, a Visual Studio was one of those types of uh, source control tools? Uh, yeah, back in the day, uh, Microsoft had a product called Visual Source Safe mm-hmm. um, or VSS. Mm-hmm. That was also a centralized tool. Mm-hmm. And so that was another one of those. Uh, I think back when VSS was the, a big tool, uh, CVS was sort of the open source equivalent. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really wasn't a, I mean, it was an okay tool, mm-hmm. uh, but it wasn't anywhere close to the level of robustness or um, enjoyed the level of support that some of the other commercial offerings had. Mm-hmm. And so back in that day, mm-hmm. um, you know, talking about 90s, then, you know, you would, it, you would more likely use a proprietary source control tool like Visual Source Safe from Microsoft or any of the other uh, tools like that Mm -hmm. instead of using an open source tool like CVS because it was uh, generally looked upon as not capable of scaling to meet the demands of modern software development needs. Yeah. And what changed? What what sort of, uh, what was the moment of the aha moment, what I like to describe as an aha moment where there was a coming together? Was it the cloud? Was it uh, predominance of one or more players that sort of began to uh, make um, um, uh, source control uh, more standardized or more? Uh... Um, I would say that there's a number of things. I mean, um, back in 2005 was when the Git project actually started. Mm-hmm. And um, Lunas uh, Tovos is the guy who wrote the original version of Git. Mm-hmm. And you may know him from yep. uh, the Linux kernel project. 
Mm-hmm. And so he wrote Git because the version control system that he was that he had the Linux kernel project on at the time decided to change their terms, and uh, they revoked the free access that he was enjoying for the Linux kernel project. And so, uh, and the system that he was on was actually a rel- relatively early distributed version control system, mm-hmm. and there really wasn't. A, an open source or free tool that did the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so he had a motivation basically to develop a version control system that could meet the needs of the Linux kernel project, which had millions of lines of code uh, around uh, that was being worked on by at least 1,200 software engineers from around the world. Mm-hmm. And so this is not exactly a small project. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, being uh, distributed around the world, there were some unique challenges that only centralized, uh, the only decentralized systems could really uh, achieve. And so he wanted to write something that, that could do that. And of course, he, he has a tendency of writing open source tools. Um, and so within, I guess, three or four months, he came out with, the first version of Git that he was then able to put the the, the tool itself on, so it became a um, a self, you know, a tool that you used Git to actually develop Git, mm-hmm. and then he also then put the Linux kernel project on Git, uh, one of the first projects to use Git. Mm-hmm. So it was a good stress test. Mm-hmm. Um, he then handed over reins to another software engineer. Uh, that then kind of took it from that point mm-hmm. forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the, a lot of the early decisions around like what the default branch is going to be and um, a lot of the names and and standards came out of those early days mm-hmm. of, of of Git. And it's just evolved out of that. It's it, So it went from uh, not existing in 2005 to existing by the end of that year to uh, becoming the dominant software, um, the, the dominant source control tool uh, back in 2014. Mm-hmm. And the so evolution it, of this has gone from, um, I assume at the time it was not a cloud-based platform, that it was uh, executa- executable on a, on a local computer that spoke to a, a cloud server of some sort? Uh, well, so that's one of the things that people get confused a lot on, and is that is what is Git and what is GitHub. Mm-hmm. And Git itself is the source control tool. And so you have the Git commands and, and then any GUIs that go on top of that, uh, graphical interfaces. Um, that's the source control tool. And those, li- those tools live on your local machine. Mm-hmm. Now, on top of that, or part of the Git ecosystem are these cloud providers that provide hosting of Git repositories um, available on the internet. And those would be services like Bitbucket, Git, uh, GitLab, and GitHub. Mm-hmm. And so you could think of those as augmenting the baseline Git by providing external cloud uh, access, mm-hmm. as well as additional tools on top of that. Mm-hmm. So Git, so like GitHub provides things that make working with Git repositories easier, 
Yeah. Uh, but they're not necessarily core features of Git. And those those uh, those clouds are whether it's Bitbucket or GitHub or others. Those are both private and public, so they can be run on a public cloud, but it can also be run in private clouds. Uh, well, uh, so with public and private, there's two facets to that. One is the actual hosting service itself. Mm -hmm. So, for example, GitHub has a um, public offering at github.com, mm -hmm. which you, anyone could sign up for a free GitHub account and then start creating GitHub repos, which are basically just Git repos that just happen to be hosted on the, on the Internet. Mm -hmm. the, the repos themselves can be either public or private, depending on if you uh, have proprietary content in them or not. Uh, the main difference there being that if uh, on most of these services that offer free repos, the there's a business model around that. And uh, it used to be that GitHub would only allow free repos to paid accounts. But a couple of years ago, they opened it up, and that was the time when Microsoft acquired GitHub. When that happened, Microsoft opened up the free um, allowed individuals to have free private repos. And where the business model came in was if you had a number of collaborators, that if you need to have people help you with a private repo, then you had to have a paid account. Mm -hmm. Now, the flip, the other side of that is that there is a flavor of GitHub that is installable within the enterprise or installable within corporate networks mm -hmm. and they call that github enterprise mm -hmm. and other um get hosting providers have equivalent type products mm -hmm. for example um Alassian, who who runs bitbucket mm -hmm. um i think they just renamed it but it used to be called stash mm -hmm. uh, but now i think it's called bitbucket enterprise mm -hmm. And then uh, the other one that's out there is called GitLab, which they have Git the GitLab community, which is a free uh, version of the GitLab software that you can run uh, on-prem or within your own private cloud. Mm -hmm. And then they have a paid equivalent of that, right. uh, which I think they call GitLab Enterprise, mm -hmm. in addition to their cloud-hosted offering at GitLab.com. And are these fundamentally parallel offerings or uh, similar offerings? Is there fundamentally anything, I mean, I'm sure there are feature functions that are different, but is that fundamentally do the same thing, provide the same feature functionality and, and scale to from small to global enterprises? For the most part. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, the enterprise products will have uh, features that are oriented to, to um, enterprise management. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, there's special APIs that are accessible to enterprise customers mm -hmm. that allow them to manage their own enterprise distribution of the, the GitHub or whatever hosting uh, provider software. Mm -hmm. uh, but beyond those type of enterprise features, it's effectively the same product. Um, they may be like a version or two behind mm -hmm. because the enterprise offerings have a tendency of being a little bit more well-tested. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to deploy something to a you know a Fortune 50 company um, that you know you want to do more testing for those customers, right? And so 
usually the enterprise flavor of their software is the hardened and really beaten down and mm -hmm. uh, ready to go for the enterprise version of what they publicly offer. Mm -hmm. And what's the, you, to the extent you know, what's the pricing model of, let's talk about Git and GitHub. What are the pricing models that, uh, you know, don't have to come down to dollars and cents exactly, but are they uh, affordable to the average small company as well as, uh, and they scale at reasonable, reasonable rates? Or do they become expensive fast? Um, well, <laughs> depends on what you mean by expensive, right? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, you go there and uh, any website you go to where it says, please contact a representative, mm -hmm. you can kind of figure where that's going to go. Right. Exactly. Um, and, and all the enterprise offerings, they have like, you know, one or two tiers where it's like they, they're okay publishing their rates online. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's definitely, hey, if you have more than X number of users, mm -hmm. hey, contact one of our sales reps and we'll talk to you about it. Right. Um, so, you know, take it however you want. <laughs> That's an interesting with, with open interpretation. So, yeah, so I mean, you know, for the average small business, I, I, would, I would say that unless you have a compelling reason, uh, just stick with the, the public offering. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just use the private teams and things like that, uh, mm -hmm. features of uh, those products. And uh, moving to your own copy of, like, GitHub Enterprise mm -hmm. is really, I would say unless you have, like, a, a very large distribution or you're very particular about security uh, or maybe you have a very specific uh, government or... Uh, security compliance rules that you have to comply with mm -hmm. um, that you don't feel like can be addressed mm -hmm. uh, with any other approach. Mm -hmm. Is there, if so you're walking your way into Git and GitHub as a new user, what's the <coughs> fundamental things that you need to understand and what level of expertise do you need to have in order to become, you know, uh, you know, a, a reasonably um, astute user? So that you're not going, so you can participate in a project. I mean, what I guess maybe start it with training. And what level of training do you need in order to have a fundamental working knowledge, so that you're not going to cause uh, issues on any other any other GitHub project or um, product rollout? Um, well, that's actually largely based on the the team or the company that you are using Git and GitHub with, um, because one of the great things about Get in GitHub is that it doesn't um, it doesn't force any particular methodology on a particular project. Uh, unlike some other tools in the past, where there's an assumed um, way of working, mm -hmm. or maybe you know a handful of established, agreed upon ways of working. Uh, working with Git. It, it makes no assumptions, basically. Mm -hmm. You have to have exactly one branch. Uh, that's the main branch that are the default branch, and that's it. Mm -hmm. uh, you can work directly off that one branch indefinitely. Mm -hmm. Or you can have a super complex uh, system where there are different repos involved. There's review processes, uh, a complex branching strategy, uh, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. I will say... That with Git, and uh, it's true for any version control system, the more branches you add to the system, the more complex it gets, um, the more painful life becomes. Mm -hmm. It's just the just the way things are, mm -hmm. um, because you have you you have multiple timelines that you're having to deal with, 
and uh, trying to track changes between them. Mm -hmm. uh, so really, my advice for people is to start simple mm -hmm. and start try to stay as simple for as long as possible. Don't overcomplicate your life unnecessarily. Uh, don't try to sell, don't try to uh, seek after the perfect strategy, um, mm -hmm. because the best strategy is the simplest strategy that works. Mm -hmm. Describe so a branch. We, Describe a branch, if you will. Oh sure. So a branch is simply a for anyone who is familiar with any version control system in the last forty years, it's probably familiar with the concept of a branch, and it's it's basically a timeline of changes. And okay. so, and it works very much from a conceptual standpoint the same way on Git. Uh, there are some nuances, some things under the hood. Uh, the way that Git treats branches is, is differently than other source control tools. And that leads to some unique opportunities for how to manage branches and the corresponding workflows around them. Mm -hmm. But foundationally, it's, a, it's from a conceptual standpoint about the same thing as anyone would expect. Um, would be familiar with with a branch from any other version control system. And is the branch? And, sorry, go go ahead. I was just going to ask you a question about is the maybe you can supplement this with is the branch based on a feature and function set, or is it uh, you know obviously you're describing it as possibly within the entire product or platform or application you're building, but is it often is, can it be broken up into feature and function sets within an application or a product? It can be uh, the. The thing with Git is, as I mentioned before, is that it, Git does not force a, any kind of methodology mm -hmm. on the project. Mm -hmm. So you can decide that if you want to be a branch per release, um, or you could do a branch per feature, you could do a branch per day of the week. I mean, right. it doesn't matter. However you want to do your software development. I know some people that just don't do branches at all. They just... Get the only thing that Git enforces is one branch. Mm -hmm. That is the main branch, the mm -hmm. default branch. You have to have a timeline. Correct. And that's it. That's the only thing you have to have. You have a timeline. Named timelines in Git are called branches. Therefore, you have to have at least one branch. Right. Um, this is the same concept you would find in Subversion. Um, the one branch in Subversion is called trunk. Mm -hmm. And if you want to create additional ones, you can, mm -hmm. uh, which you often do. But the um, and Git the default branch is currently called master. Although the Git community is starting to uh, make it easier to change what the default branch is named, and uh, I think here in the next year they're going to change it to call it main mm -hmm. instead of master. And is there? Um, I mean, obviously, presumably, there's a fair amount of strategy that will go into determining whether you take the main or master and turn it into multiple branches. Is there an overall approach that you recommend to thinking about those branches? Obviously, it's a very broad question because there's mm -hmm. a zillion different potential applications for it. But do you, when you think about this, and if you were to walk into a consulting client and say, you know, what are we going to do? What's your general mm -hmm. way of approaching this? Well, I, well, as I mentioned before, as with any source control tool, the more branches you have, the more pain you're you're introducing to a system, um, especially if you have any expectation at all of integrating these these branches back into the default branch. The more branches you create, the, there are more opportunities for merges, and the more opportunities for merges, 
the more opportunities you have for conflicts. Mm -hmm. And so you want to minimize the number of branches that you have ongoing uh, for any length of time. Mm -hmm. And so my main strategy is simply keep things as simple as possible, but still work. And so if you can get away with one branch, then great, do that. Um, Just stay on the main or default branch and Mm -hmm. life is good. Most of the time, that is not sufficient. Most projects are more complex uh, that require at least a little bit of branching. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, you got to try to figure out what is what do you want to accomplish with branching? Are, do you want to have feature-based branches where each developer takes a, a, basically a private copy of a timeline, works on it, on their own and then integrates it back into the main or default branch when that feature or topic is complete? Or would you rather cut off of, um, you know, have an unstable development on the main branch and then create more stable branches uh, as we approach a release? And Mm -hmm. so that's kind of the release management uh, oriented way of branching where you say we're gonna have release 1.1 and then release 1.2, et cetera. And these branches just live indefinitely and forever type mm-hmm. of thing. And is it really, um, is there any issue or any strategy that you recommend or have seen that relates to geographies? Let's say you have a team in uh, Costa Rica and a team in the Philippines and a team in India and a team in Florida. Is that at all influence your strategy? Because of, and the reason I say that is just in terms of the 24 7 kind of development strategy, where you've got people mm-hmm. that are handing off projects, handing off code to the next team, and so they can, and without affecting the main branch. Is there any value in that? Is that just not? It depends. Well, I mean, it depends. it depends on how big your project is and uh, how tight knit your, um, your team is. Mm-hmm. So, one of the things I tell people is that no tool is going to overcome problems at the team level. So if you have poor communication uh, with the team or low levels of trust within your team, no tool is going to solve that, mm-hmm. uh, including Git. Mm-hmm. So you gotta, you gotta see how, how well does your team work. Mm-hmm. And so if there are um, communication challenges, then enforcing a particular policy or whatever is not going to solve that. Mm-hmm. With that, you can do feature-based um, branching, where you can say you take a feature, and then maybe you have a collection of developers work on that feature. They could share a feature, or they can each have their own copy of the repo uh, or the repository. Mm-hmm. And uh, what you know, when you when you have your own copy of a repository, especially if it's on GitHub. Uh, this is a feature known as forking. And t- typically in a software development cycle, uh, software development terms, the concept of forking is usually looked upon as a negative thing, uh, except that in Git and GitHub, that's actually looked at as a positive thing uh, because everyone gets their, their own copy of the repository from which they are able to create their own private feature branches. And then they can contribute these things back to the the top level or team level uh, repository mm-hmm. and so you can see these things that github actually supports this thing that sits on top of git 
Uh, it's not a core feature, but it's something that a lot of Git hosting providers support, and that is pull requests. Mm -hmm. And so with what a pull request is, is it allows a developer to submit their branch for inclusion in the main development uh, timeline. Mm -hmm. And so what that allows them to do is a pull request is basically an online discussion of, with the attached uh, desired changes. Mm -hmm. And so you have this effectively it's communication back and forth in which you can do, it's a combination of code review, uh, chat, and other things around this code that is being for that has a consideration for being included in the main development of the of the project, and so you can do things like say, um, we will, uh, you know, assign one or two people to do a code review, and then once they've reviewed it, they can accept the pull request, which would then merge in those changes into the main line of the development effort. Mm -hmm. So, it's, so it can be really structure your your rollout of feature and 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 um, and product and uh, review as you uh, in in some sort of centralized fashion, for example, or distributed. Yeah, uh, you can control it. Yeah, it is. It's um, even though Git is distributed, uh, I like to say it's um, centralized and in, de in denial in some in some respects because mm -hmm. it's um, developers still need to have a source of truth somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so what we end up doing is we elect a repository, typically one hosted on GitHub or a similar service, to be the golden copy, to mm -hmm. be the source of truth. Mm -hmm. And even though everyone gets a copy of that repository, and each one of those repositories are first-class status citizens, they have all the history, they can even have their own set of branches independent of the repository which we've elected as the the main or primary source of truth mm -hmm. um having your own copy with all the history allows you to get the also the additional benefit of being decentralized mm -hmm. but typically what happens is that with our own copies of those repos we submit our own changes to back to the team repository mm -hmm. or the agreed upon central repository and that's where we do our code reviews via pull requests. Right. Okay. And then, the, but there is, and I assume in the, um, in the, let's say the public version of this, not the enterprise version, um, you can nominate or, and renominate and change the control process so that um, whoever makes the ultimate release decisions is, is truly in control of what the gold code is. That is to say, whatever goes live is can be controlled from a fairly centralized, process-driven approach. Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, GitHub supports a rather robust system of permissions, mm -hmm. and so typically the person who creates the the repo on GitHub mm -hmm. uh, is the initial owner of mm -hmm. the repository, mm -hmm. and of course that person has like the ultimate control. Mm -hmm. But then that person could then also assign. Uh, various levels of control mm -hmm. to other collaborators, mm -hmm. and so these people would they add to you know a team of of engineers or you know a team of people who use GitHub mm -hmm. uh, for a particular repository. Mm -hmm. um, you could have people that simply have read-only access uh, if it's a private repo. Mm -hmm. uh, you can have people that 
can make changes or they can submit changes via pull requests, but they can't do anything else. Mm-hmm. And you can have people that basically have full full access. And what's the so um, go ahead, I'm sorry. Continue, please. Yeah, so there's various levels of 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 um, access that you can be that you can grant to individuals uh, or collaborators. Mm-hmm. And is there let's say the uh, is there rollback features that enable uh, slices of version one oh, version one five, one version two oh to be rolled back if there's a problem? With any of these, uh, the branches that have uh, been contributed, they thought they they thought they were what they wanted, and then they realized that they were not. Uh, well, so I guess there's there's a couple of part, parts to that. For first of all, uh, Git and GitHub they are not uh, CI/CD platforms, um, or you know they're, they're not a build they're not build platforms. Mm-hmm. So they aren't the ones that are going to be building code or deploying code. But uh, depending on how you have a strategy around how you're going to use Git and GitHub, those, uh, the way you use it can f- help facilitate rolling back code. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, Git supports this, this notion of tagging commits. Mm-hmm. And so as you near major milestones within your software development process, you can say, hey, we're going to cut a release um, that's going to be our our candidate release and we're going to tag it as a candidate release and then like later on you say okay well, now we're going to tag this as our general release or our 1.0 product mm-hmm. and so a normal uh, a very common practice would be to use these tags to tag versions of the code base mm-hmm. as of certain major milestones certain versions mm-hmm. and so it's, it, it's a very common thing to tag 1.0, 1.1, etc. And so, if you find a problem with a particular version of the code, and as long as your engineers or the build platform that you're using has been consistent and diligent about tagging the code, then it is actually very easy to roll back those changes by simply targeting a known stable code base. Uh, based on the tag to just roll back to. Mm-hmm. So again, gets but, back to your point about uh, communication in the team, coordination, having a similar kind of uh, alignment of um, process. And, right, uh, and that comes back to, uh, you know, Git and GitHub, you know, this, it's all, it's just one piece of a greater DevOps um, tool set. Mm-hmm. And so you would want to marry that with uh, a robust, Build automation, build platform. Mm-hmm. Things, something like Jenkins or Circle CI or Travis or there are hundreds of them now, mm-hmm. where it will build your code base whenever a change is detected. Mm-hmm. And then usually these automated systems would take care of the tagging for you mm-hmm. uh, based on some sort of criteria, uh, like are we doing a you know release build? If it's if the build is successful, it passes all your quality checks. Uh, it's going to automatically tag that uh, as a release build, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. So um, while there's a lot that's wrapped up in using Git and GitHub, it's also part of a greater DevOps tool set. Mm-hmm. You've, you've got a variety of courses that you're running this coming week. We're streaming um, one of your courses. You've got deep knowledge, lots, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people watching your courses online. Um, what is the um, 
the the best thing for someone to do if they want to learn besides taking a course are there sandboxes that they can play in that learn you know that show them how to avoid the mistakes that uh, kind of people cause in a production environment um well i mean as far as getting github are concerned mm -hmm. you know the that these software development tools at, at the source control level are really more focused around the software development. Mm -hmm. And so um, avoiding production mistakes is really more about having a, a, a good discipline in, in software development practice. Mm -hmm. And so making sure that you tag your code appropriately, uh, tag every major milestone that you can so that you are capable of rolling back to a known stable point or you know where to go and apply hot fixes or you know make bug fixes that if you need to mm -hmm. uh, knowing how your tool works things like that and so training around get and github and related uh, tools like part of the greater devops tool set is definitely important mm -hmm. um, depending on the the amount of proficiency that one needs to have is largely dependent on how in-depth or how big your project is. Mm -hmm. uh, but Git's not a terribly hard tool to learn, uh, to be proficient in, is it, it, you know, as far as uh, getting started. Mm -hmm. uh, probably the most challenging part of it is just getting over the fact that um, my approach is to teach from the command line first, mm -hmm. and that does intimidate some people. Um, because it, it seemed like that the command line was like the thing before the GUI was a thing. Mm -hmm. And then once GUI was a thing, like everyone forgot that the command line even existed. Nice. And then there's been this renaissance of the command line. So mm -hmm. um, tools like Node.js and uh, Ruby on Rails and things like that have actually, they're command line driven now. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's kind of funny because... But Git was developed as a command line tool for Linux. Mm -hmm. uh, so all the power is in the command line. And there are tools, there are GUI tools that sit on top of that. Mm -hmm. And they've gotten really good these days. But they effectively just hide all the details. In fact, a lot of times the GUI tools just run the command lines in the background for you. Right. Um, so I always teach from the command line first mm -hmm. because... It's best to know what your tools are doing right? Um, instead of hiding those details. Because sometimes our GUI tools fail us, mm -hmm. and we don't know why. Mm -hmm. uh, because we're clicking on buttons, and we don't know what's actually happening. Right. Which is why I teach from the command line first. That way you know what's happening. And if you want to put a GUI on top of that, no problem. Right. So once you understand the command line, you'll be able to work with most GUIs, but you can't do it the other way around. Yeah, because once you learn a GUI, like a lot of people are are stuck, like they'll use Eclipse for their GUI for Git. And, you know, if someone else comes along with a different tool, um, they might be a little lost because they don't know which buttons to click on. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas if you have the command line, that's a universal tool. Like it's the, the command line always works the same way. Right. Um, and what's great about the, the command line tools for Git is that the, the Git commands are all identical across all the platforms Git will be installed on. Mm -hmm. So whether it's, it's Linux, uh, Mac, or Windows, all the Git commands are identical. Mm -hmm. 
uh, which is which is nice. You could even run them in the Windows command prompt or in a bash shell. Mm-hmm. Uh, either way would be perfectly fine. All the commands are identical. Okay, so that's pretty fundamental to the to the building process of how to understand these tools, the command line right. and functions. Also helpful when you're automating as well, because typically uh, you're going to be working with command line tools when you're trying to automate stuff. Mm-hmm. So knowing how the command line uh, tools work. Uh, would lend itself to being able to automate certain processes. Yeah. Like if you want to create a release process for your devo- uh, software development cycle, you can have a script that calls the git commands to automate things like tagging and creating branches and things like that around whatever process you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sounds like you've uh, covered a lot in a short period of time. Um, in terms of, uh, just think about it from a career building point of view, it seems like um, it would be fair to say that it's fairly fundamental to anyone's career to be uh, very conversant in both Git and GitHub. That's, that's fair. Yeah, I would, yeah, I would say that 10 years ago, I would have said um, having exposure to some type of version control system uh, was an important skill, perhaps even critical. Mm-hmm. Uh, nowadays... Uh, I don't even say any version control system. I say you you must know Git, right? <laughs> because right. it's it's the de facto standard now. Right. Um, Eclipse Foundation did a poll um, and found in 2014 that Git became the number one source control tool used worldwide, mm-hmm. and that that rate um, has just continued to in- increase. Mm-hmm. Now it's like 90% of projects use Git or GitHub. Right. So it's it's no longer sufficient to have exposure to some type of version control system. Now, learning Git and GitHub, you know, some type of um, learning the Git ecosystem in general mm-hmm. is a critical software development skill. That's foundational to entirely probably every job in the software world. Yeah, it's it's unusual now to see any other version control system uh, specifically called out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost always when I look at uh, job postings mm-hmm. is you know, software engineer must have exposure to Git or GitHub. So what's the toughest question you think someone's going to ask you as a, let's say, a, a young developer um, or systems analyst? What's the, 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 the toughest question, reasonable question, that someone's going to ask you in an interview about Git and GitHub? What's the, the zingers? I mean, if you have the top two or three zingers, what are the, what are the ones that really people should focus on? If there is such a thing, because um, I imagine there are some de- senior developers who want to trip people up in an interview, and they say, "Well, do you know this?" So, what's the default? Um, what's, the, what's the tough questions that really cause, you know, challenges in an interview if there are such things? Uh, well, um, I would advise people not to try to trip people up. <laughs> right. In interviews, I mean, the whole point is is uh, you know. Knowing Git and GitHub is a critical skill, but you don't have to have deep knowledge to be productive. Mm-hmm. So, um, if you're trying to ask, you know, somewhere someone about some arcane, you know, point of, you know, is a branch really a branch, you know, type of thing, uh, you're asking the wrong questions. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can just simply ask questions along the lines of, you know, what are the foundational you know, features of Git and what are some advantages and disadvantages, mm-hmm. things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a little bit better. Mm-hmm. 
So pretty much just foundational understanding of how how Git works, how GitHub works, um, right. how repositories are shared, how branches are created, what the some of the as you've described here, some of the the, the foundational benefits of creating, and as you said. I think quite clearly, um, simplifying, making sure that you don't overcomplicate for no reason whatsoever, or sort of for, for perceived advantages. Maybe, maybe having a, a standard over wi before which you decide a branch is necessary. Sure. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you're trying to study for um, an interview in which Git and GitHub questions will be uh, featured, mm -hmm. you know, just knowing there there are a handful of, of popular branching strategies that are worth at least understanding conceptually. Mm -hmm. um, there's something called GitFlow, which is a, a fairly popular branching strategy um, that works along the lines of your, your default branch is develop, uh, which is unstable. And then the, the primary branch is really production, uh, also called main or master. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you can have like feature branches off that and release branches, whatever is required. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's a very flexible way of working. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's another one where it, some people call it GitHub flow. Mm -hmm. Some people call it the pull request workflow, mm -hmm. where you use those. Uh, I've kind of described it already, mm -hmm. where you use your own private feature branches and contribute that to the team repository mm -hmm. as uh, a pull request, mm -hmm. and you work that way. Mm -hmm. um, so knowing these different ways of working conceptually are worth being aware of. Mm -hmm. Uh, but a lot of times, if you're a young software engineer, you're not going to have the luxury of uh, proposing a way of working. You'll be right. dictated. Mm -hmm. This is how the pro software process works here. Mm -hmm. um, and everyone tries to reinvent the wheel effectively mm -hmm. in that regard. Right. So it's like, oh, I know we have, you know, there's GitFlow, but we have a better version here. Mm -hmm. um, right. I, in fact, I've, I've encountered that with my, my um, day job. Uh, where I work for a major Central Florida company, a Fortune 50 company, and they effectively said, GitFlow is nice, but we can do it better. Right. <laughs> so right. it's it's like it wasn't invented here syndrome. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but those two that but, yeah. you just described are fairly foundational to understanding, and as, as long as someone can describe the different strategies on some level, that's uh, yeah. that's useful as knowledge of the the process, and then to be as you described, flexible about the people. In your case, working with a massive organization that has a alternative um, implementation is not wrong. It's just different, and someone has to be able to be aware of what that is and communicate. And that's to. a common software development thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, I've I've worked on large DevOps teams and and people will come to me and say, hey, why well, can't I do it my way? And my response is that is to simply say that your way is one of five correct ways. Right. Um, we have to pick, you know, one or two, um, and then kind of standardize on that because there is value in standardization to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. um, and, and usually that's okay. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes they're disappointed that their way isn't one of the preferred ways of doing it. Right. Uh, but, you know, it's not wrong. It's just different. Right. And when you have a thousand correct ways of doing things, that gets crazy. Mm -hmm. And so you have to pick, you know, a handful of correct ways to do something. Mm -hmm. And um, so that everyone can get things done. Because if everyone just does their own thing, you know, it's just chaos. Right. And so the same thing with get and github right you just you need to know the foundational aspects of it and then a lot of times um 
if you need to know more or uh, know something very specific, the team that you go work on will train you there or they will tell you how they want to use it, mm-hmm. um, especially if you're starting out. Uh, if you're, you might need to know more deeper knowledge of something if, if you're a lead or a senior developer mm-hmm. that is responsible for dictating uh, or setting up the standards of, of the software development uh, cycle and and how they manage the project. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then you might be responsible for saying what our established branching policy is going to be mm-hmm. and how we're going to interact with remote teams or um, different things like that. Yeah, so more of a probing so, question and answer approach might be the best answer to, or may, the best answer to a question might be also, what's your strategy, and how do you think it's it's uh, how is it handled within your organization? What's what's optimal for your organization? Oh, right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, so being, and there are, there are strategies that more are more in alignment with uh, common with the more modern ways of delivering software. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example. Um, people are familiar with the idea of, of waterfall development mm-hmm. where you have these long, longer processes which build up to an eventual release uh, which may be months or years in the, in the making. Mm-hmm. Which is fine. It's worked fine for 40 years. Um, but there's a more modern way of working where you take a more iterative approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, something called Agile right. uh, came out of the extreme programming phase or fad of the of the 90s mm-hmm. and it's it's really matured into a, a pretty disciplined mm-hmm. way of, of delivering software on iterative uh, process mm-hmm. and so then having a branching strategy that is more in alignment with that way of working is mm-hmm. definitely beneficial mm-hmm. and then we've even seen it taking agile to uh, new levels with something like continuous delivery Mm -hmm. or uh, continuous deployment Mm -hmm. where you are uh, developing software with um, large automated testing suites Mm -hmm. uh, point to where you could uh, deploy to production uh, with every change of code, Mm -hmm. uh, which scares the crap out of people Mm -hmm. uh, that aren't familiar with that way of working. Mm -hmm. But if you have a complex branching strategy, you can't get to that. Mm-hmm. Um, because the more branches you have, um, the more complexity you have, it's not a very conducive way to getting to continuous delivery. Mm-hmm. And so if you can consolidate your branches, mm-hmm. um, less is more in mm-hmm. this case. Um, if that's what your ultimate goal is, then that's going to very much dictate the kind of branch strategy you imp- implement mm-hmm. if you're trying to achieve continuous delivery or continuous deployment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I imagine CI/CD is is fundamental to the the ultimate approach that you take to Git and GitHub, where you are in that process. Right. Yeah. But some companies just aren't ready for that or don't have any plans to go down that route. So, mm-hmm. having a more complicated uh, branching strategy that's more conducive with older agile or waterfall approaches is fine. Yeah. Okay, but as things get faster and faster, and applications become more interoperable and speaking to each other, the the strategy is as they is we'll call it the the Julia Child strategy of reduce, 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 right? Simplify, make it make it more streamlined and easier to um, to manage. Right, less is more. Less is more. That's a good way to end this. Jason, thank you very much for excellent insights.
And everyone look forward to Jason's course coming out in the next week um, on our Starweaver platform. Thanks for your time, Jason. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcasts. Also, visit us at starweaver.com where you can get much more information about what we do and how we can help you in your career. See you again next time.